It was Thursday evening, the night before the crucifixion, when Jesus had gathered his disciples together for what we refer to as the Last Supper. If you're, if you're going away on a, on a long trip, uh, maybe, maybe going on a cruise with your pastor and his wife, a long cruise after a long, long, hard winter, hypothetically speaking, before you go on a long trip like that, you might have a family dinner and get everybody together. If a child's going off to university, you might say, well, let's, let's all go out, let's gather for dinner before you go away and have dinner together uh, one last time before you head off to university. If someone you love is dying and you're not certain how much longer they'll be with you, you might get the family together. And so let's, let's, let's do this together one more time. This dinner on this evening is different than any other time that they've met. This is crucifixion eve. And Jesus calls a family meeting because he has some very important things to share before he goes to the cross. Now, up until this point, this, this group appeared to be a very, very tight, very cohesive, very, very focused band of brothers. Uh, like any family, they had their moments, they had their bumps, they had their ups and downs, like, like any family. But up until this point, it appeared that they were uh, going into this supper as a very, very tight, tight-knit group. Uh, the ministry years of Jesus that we have recorded in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, those three years of ministry that the, the picture of those three years that we get is a very tight, very compressed, uh, very intense three years. And we see that Jesus handpicked the 12 who would travel with him and be the eyewitnesses to his teaching and to his miracles. They would drop their lives to follow Jesus. They would follow Jesus when it wasn't easy, when it was difficult, sometimes under tremendous pressure. They would keep following Jesus, sometimes when it wasn't exactly clear where Jesus was going or even what Jesus was teaching. Sometimes when they, they didn't even understand his teaching, they, they, they stayed with them. They continued to follow. And so we would say, if, if anything, this group was loyal. Uh, they were tight. They were, they were with Jesus. They were a team. And they knew each other intimately. So it's Thursday night. The table is set. The disciples are gathered. The meal is being served. And uh, we're going to read this morning from the book of, of Mark. We're going to pick the story up. And when you read the book of Mark, it's, it's, it's just like walking in on the scene and just, just finding a place on the floor and just kind of sitting there watching it all unfold. And so, uh, you know, go ahead and imagine that's where you are this morning as we read this text. Grabbing a spot on the floor in the back of the room and watching it all unfold. Mark chapter 14. And going to read verses 17, 18, and 19. Mark says, In the evening Jesus arrived with the twelve disciples. And as they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating here with me will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one? And Jesus replied, It is one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me. Let's stop there. Am I the one? 
Am I the one? Greatly distressed, each one of the disciples asked the question, Am I the one? If you've ever been on a a team or a staff or a a pretty close-knit group of people, usually you can tell right away if someone in the group is out of sync uh, with the others in the group. It's no big secret. If there's one person who's just not buying into the team, uh, into the team vision or into the leader, if someone is in a funk, uh, usually everybody everybody on the team knows, right? They're like, oh, so-and-so, right? And, and everybody knows if one person's just out of sorts or in a funk. You might not verbalize it, you know, you might not say it, but everybody, everybody kind of knows there's that, there's that one person. But in this moment, it's not obvious to, to the disciples who Jesus is talking about. They, they point fingers, but they don't point fingers at each other. They point their fingers at themselves. Is it me? Am, am I the one? Am I going to betray Jesus? Shouldn't we be quicker to point fingers at ourselves than we are to point fingers at others? I'm thinking if it was me, I probably could have found somebody to point at. I could, I could have found at least one person in the group. Like, oh, yeah, it's, probably, it's probably that guy, you know. Throw Nathaniel under the camel. He drives me nuts. Morning person, always whistling. Eats too many figs. Smells like figs. It's him. I bet it's him. Drives me nuts. Like I, I could have found somebody else to point at besides myself. Mark gives us detail and insight into the reaction. And he says that when the disciples realized that Jesus would be handed over to the authorities, that he would be arrested because of one of them. That this was going to happen because of one of them, an insider. Mark says they were greatly distressed. Now, part of, part of being greatly distressed was probably, you know, their minds thinking about uh, Jesus being arrested. But Mark clearly puts the emphasis of greatly distressed on the realization that it was someone in their group who was going to turn on Jesus. The greatly distressed wasn't wasn't just about what Jesus was about to go through. The greatly distressed was about, it's one of us. One of us is going to be, betray the teacher. Greatly distressed is the way that we should feel when we turn our backs on Jesus. Greatly distressed is a proper response to sin. You know, the enemy of our souls... Doesn't, doesn't necessarily need to get us to sin more. We're already pretty good at that. We've got that covered. He just needs us to care less about our sin and to not be greatly distressed. When you stop caring about the sin in your life, you betray Jesus. When you are no longer greatly distressed, about the sin in your life, you deny him. Am I the one? Am I the one? Am I capable of turning my back on Jesus just long enough to satisfy my selfish desires? 
Would I turn my back to the light just long enough to make a deal in the darkness? Why is it so hard for me to deny myself and so easy to deny Jesus? Why do I turn down the volume of of God's voice in my life? Why would I tune out the, the Spirit's leading in my life long enough to just long enough to take something that I, that I selfishly want, something that, that I might even know will ultimately lead to death. And instead of denying myself, I deny Christ. Am I the one? I don't push everything aside in my world just to be in the presence of Jesus. Instead, I let everything else Nonsense and noise and material things that that really don't matter, that really don't mean anything. I I let all those things uh, crowd out Jesus in my life. When I don't trust Jesus with every area of my life, when I don't have the faith that I should have, when why does why does fear trump faith in my life sometimes? Am I the one? Would I like Judas, choose an opportunity to make money over relationship with Jesus? Am I the one? Would I, like Peter, lay low about my relationship with Jesus just to protect myself? Would I, like the disciples, fade into the background when the people around me don't want to hear about Jesus? Am I the one? Initially, at this supper, uh, when Jesus said, one of you, uh, initially, he was referring to, to Judas. Judas would return with a group of armed thugs who would take Jesus by force and deliver him, hand him over to the, the high priest and the elders. But if you keep reading in Mark's chapter, just a few verses later, Uh, Jesus tells the disciples that they would all desert him. And when Peter pushes pushes back on that, hey, hey, no, Jesus, I'll never desert you. Jesus says, you're right, Peter. You won't deny me once. You'll actually deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. By the way, roosters crow and crows roost. I just thought I'd point that out. If that's the only thing you remember from this morning, though, that's, if that's your key takeaway from this morning, <laughs> you missed it. And so Jesus says to them, you know what, you're all going to desert me. And Peter, you're going to deny me three times. So the answer to the question, am I the one, is yes. That's the answer to the question. Am I the one? Yeah, I am. Is it me? Is it you? If we were completely honest, I think we'd have to say, yeah. It's my sin that drove Jesus to the cross. It's my selfishness and my betrayal. The many times that when I'm faced with a decision between self and Jesus, and I choose self and I deny Jesus, why is it so hard for me to deny myself? And so easy for me to deny Jesus. Am I the one? The Apostle Paul, who became a Jesus follower after 
the resurrection after he had a radical encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Uh, Paul went on to write uh, more than half of the New Testament. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He says, I don't understand myself. Paul says, I really, I really don't understand myself because I want to do what's right. I, I really want to do what's right. I want to deny myself. I don't want to deny Jesus. Paul says, why? Why am I this way? I want to do what's right. But I don't do it instead. I do what I hate when I'm faced with a decision. Someone's going to get denied here. Is it going to be me or is it going to be Jesus? Paul's saying, why is it that I, 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 den- I don't deny myself? But I deny Christ. Paul doesn't try to hide this. He's, he's very, very upfront, very transparent about this. This is kind of like, what's the point? He puts it in high definition for us. Paul's saying, there's a, there's a battle that rages inside me. It was raging in Paul. And he, and he just kind of throws his hands up, says, I don't understand myself. And, and just at the, the point, the moment where you think, that, you know, he's just going to say, so what's the use? In verse 25 of Romans chapter 7, Paul says, our only hope. Our only hope, the answer, the answer is in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus. So if Paul was asking the question, am I the one? He would answer, yeah. Yep. I am am definitely the one. I'm one of the billions of ones that Jesus died for to save us from our sins. To save us from ourselves. Under great distress, the disciples asked themselves, am I the one? Later that night and into the next morning, Jesus would be placed under tremendous weight and pressure as the high priest tore into him with, a, with an eerily similar question. The high priest tore into Jesus time after time after time for hours on end. With a very similar question. The question was, are you the one? Are you the one? After hours of brutal physical interrogation, Jesus is hauled off to the Roman governor, Pilate. Where Pilate asked him the very same question. Are you the one? Are you the one? The answer to the disciples' question, am I the one, is yes. When the same question is pointed at Jesus, are you the one? The answer is the same. Yes, Jesus says, I am the one. Jesus is the one. He is the one and only one who can save us from our sin. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one. God's son born into a messed up world to show us the way back to the father. He is the only one who can forgive our sin. He's the one with unlimited grace that flows like water to the lowest point. You cannot sin the grace of God because of the price that Jesus paid. He's the one who loves us unconditionally. Does, does he want us to go and sin no more? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Scripture's clear on that. And if we fall, and if we fall and if we stumble, it doesn't mean that God loves us any less. He loves us as much as the creator of the universe can possibly love us. He's the one. He's the one that the prophets wrote about hundreds of years before his birth. He's the one that millions of people have worshipped and served and followed and given their life for for more than 2,000 years. He's the one that each of these beautiful Kenyan college students professed as their savior with guns to their heads. When someone said to them, is Jesus the one? They answered, yeah. He's the one. He has always been and he always will be the one. Am I the one? Yes, I am. I'm guilty. Is he the one? Yes, he is. He's worthy. Jesus' profession is the one worthy of our confession. Sends him to a criminal's cross where he hangs between two thieves. We call it Good Friday, not because it's a particularly upbeat day. It's not. It's a day of reflection, uh, a reflection on the full weight of our sin and the physical sacrifice that Jesus endured for us. It's Good Friday because of what the cross accomplished on your behalf. Insert your name. It's Good Friday because of what the cross accomplished for you. It's good for us. Without a Good Friday, the world would still be in darkness. Uh, First century people would find it totally bizarre that we wear crosses as fashion. There was nothing decorative about the cross in the first century. Crosses were the nuclear weapons of the ancient world. Rome adopted this practice from the Assyrians who the Syrians found that, that crucifying someone was a much better deterrent than simply killing someone. And so crucifixions were highly public. And uh, they, they would crucify people at the entrance to the city. Along the road as you approach the city, as you're entering the city. Imagine out on Barry Mills Road. You know where that, that Moncton sign is on the Barry Mills Road? Imagine, instead of welcome to Moncton, we, we, there are multiple crosses out there with dying, dead, and decaying criminals hanging on them. Have a nice visit. Come again soon. Well, this is what they did in the ancient world. It was a deterrent. This is what we do to, to criminals. Have a nice visit. Come again soon. The cross was the most humiliating, excruciating, painstaking way to punish. Why do we love the cross? Why do we cherish it? We write songs about it. We sing about it. We, we place crosses, uh, you know, in our homes and on our desk and where, where people can see them. You can buy a cross at Walmart. You can buy them in jewelry stores. Why the cross? Why, why do we love the cross? Walmart doesn't sell guillotines. I don't think you can go to the mall tomorrow and buy a diamond-studded electric chair. If you can, don't show me. Someone will find one on the internet today and send it to me, guaranteed. They'll tweet it to me. 
Why the cross? Why is it different? Jesus took our symbol of death and he turned it into an emblem of life. Rome, Rome had no victory on the cross of Jesus Christ. The high priest who wanted to kill this, che- this teacher who claimed to be the son of God, they could not claim victory on the cross of Jesus Christ. The victory of Good Friday belongs to Jesus. That's where it belongs. Only Jesus could take what the world meant for evil and redeem it. So this eternal cosmic turn of events, taking what the world meant for evil and turning it into good, is the same thing that Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants to take what the world means for harm, and he wants to redeem it. He wants to buy it back. He wants to set you free. He wants to pay the price. He wants to break the power of sin in our lives. Is he the one? Yes, he is. In a few moments, we're going to share the symbols of the Last Supper together. The bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us on the cross. The cup represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Uh, In a few minutes, not now, but in a few minutes, staff are going to come. Some of the pastors are going to come and and help us serve communion. Before we take these elements this morning, uh, we're going to take a few quiet moments to reflect and, and, and invite and allow the light of God's truth into the deepest places of our lives on Good Friday. We're just going to take a couple of minutes of, of, of silence and prayer and reflection and, and opening up the deepest places of your life and just saying, Jesus, would you come and, and, and shine the light of your presence, the light of your truth deep into my heart. And if there's anything there, if you surface anything that needs to be surrendered, I'll surrender. If you surface anything that needs to be forgiven, I'll forgive. If you surface anything that needs to come to the cross of Jesus Christ this morning, I won't hold it in. I won't, I won't keep it to myself. It's yours. It's yours. So we're going we're gonna to take a few minutes to confess, to come clean before God, to ask and receive forgiveness from God. And as we move into this time of silence and prayer, I want to give you today an opportunity to trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I I know that uh, it's it's very possible that uh, there could be some some friends here this morning, uh, some of you who have gathered, who you you don't yet know that there was ever uh, a moment in your life, a time that you can remember, when you would say, that's when I crossed the line of faith And I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And we're going to give you that opportunity here uh, in these next few moments. If you don't know that you've ever made a clear and intentional decision to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That he died on a cross for your sin. This is a great opportunity today to, to make that decision. It's the biggest decision of your life. And to simply say, Jesus... I believe you're a God's son, 
and I want to invite you to come into my life. Power wash my soul. Give me a new start. And I'll live for you, serve you, follow you with the rest of my life. So we're going to spend a couple minutes in silent prayer. And we're going to ask the congregation to remain seated uh, during this, this, this time of prayer. Except for those of you who are deciding that today is the day that you are, that you are inviting Jesus Christ into your life as your Savior. You're believing Today, for the very first time, you're crossing that line. You're saying, today is my day. If that's you this morning, then as we're in this time of, of prayer and, and, and quietness, I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm, I invite you to stand during that time of quietness. And that's pretty bold. You know, everyone else will be seated. And there'll be a few people standing. That's, that's pretty bold. Going to the cross for our sin is pretty bold as well. And you're in a safe place this morning. And the reason I invite you to stand is to make a public profession of your faith and saying, yes, I believe. And yes, I'm going to, I'm going to follow the, Jesus with the rest of my life. And then, and then to have the, the prayer and support of this, this group of people right here. Uh, often on Sunday mornings, in fact, in a couple of days on Easter Sunday morning, uh, when we do something like this, I, I, I invite the congregation to cheer, but this morning let's just let's not cheer when someone stands, uh, just to stay in this this time of silence and prayer. And uh, maybe we'll celebrate at the end of the service, but just stay in uh, a time of uh, reflection and, and prayer. So I'm going to pray for us, and we'll go into a, a few mo- few minutes of reflection. And if you'd like to stand during that time to indicate that you're starting a brand new relationship with Jesus, then you just you just stand to your feet, and um, and then I'll come. Then I'll transition us into our time of communion uh, after that. So let's pray together. Lord, I thank you this morning for each person who is gathered here in this room on Good Friday, 2015, and I thank you most of all, Lord, for your your presence that is here with us right now in this room, uh, speaking to us, reminding us of the weight of our sin, reminding us today of, of the price that was paid for our sin. Jesus, we thank you today for your obedience to the cross. We thank you that you were willing to go to any depth and through anything in order to, to pay a price we could never pay. To, to, uh, that, that we could accept your forgiveness, that we could accept and receive your grace on a Friday like today in Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada, that you would set us free from our sins. We could live with you forever. God, I pray for um, all of us here this morning that you would help us in the next few moments to trust you completely and surrender fully. And so as we enter into a time of, of confession, repentance and forgiveness. I pray, God, that you would do miracles, that you would set people free, that you would just, that you would just embrace us this morning, that you would re- remind us how much you love us as we trust you with every area of our lives. And then, God, I pray for those who, who recognize today that today's the day when they need to accept you as their Savior. As they simply pray 
in their hearts or out loud even to you, Jesus, come into my life. I believe today that you are God's son. I invite you to come in and, and, and give me a brand new start today to make me your child, to forgive any wrong that I've, anything that I've ever done that has separated me from God. I believe in you. I believe that you lived, that you died for my sin and that you rose again. And I, I, I believe in heaven and that I will spend eternity with you and I will follow you and serve you with the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for, for saving me, for coming into my life today and rescuing me, I pray in Jesus' name.